Hi, and welcome to the Injury Report. This is Dr. Catherine Logan, sports surgeon in Denver, Colorado. Today I'm with Michael Lau, who is a physical therapist as well as a CSCS based in Los Angeles, California. He works clinically at Evolution Physical Therapy and is also the founder of the Prehab Guys. Michael and I are going to be speaking about a few things today. Um, primarily, we're going to be speaking about the benefits of blood flow restriction therapy um, and his upcoming BFR course that he's going to be teaching at my clinic in Denver. But since he also has a really interesting background as an entrepreneur and also with everything he's doing uh, with the prehab guys in social media, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about alternative pathways for physical therapists and um, other ways you can expand your career. As a former physical therapist, I'm always excited to talk to physical therapists who are really changing the field and doing unique things. So welcome, Michael. I'm happy to have you. Um, all right. So tell me um, a little bit more about, you know, your background, where you went to school and, you know, what got you to the place you are now? Yeah. So uh, my name is Michael Lau. I'm a physical therapist. I'm an strength and conditioning coach. Initially, I went to oh, so I went to undergrad at UCLA, so I'm a Bruin for life. <laughs> uh, graduated, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I kind of always had this thought in my mind, like, oh, I'll, I'll be a doctor, I'll go to med school. Um, but then I know for me initially, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I won't say an entrepreneur, but a private practice owner. Like my parents have always been like, you have to own your own clinic or your own business because you're not good at listening to other people's advice. <laughs> so, uh, good to know that, yourself. Yeah, I feel like that's since I was small. Um, so knowing that the route it would take for me to go through medical schools and residencies and fellowships and then to be practicing out of there, and at least a lot of it in L.A., most of the physicians are, are grouped up um, with hospitals. So most of them aren't practicing privately. No, definitely people practicing privately, but a large majority of them are with big institutions. So I was like, well, let's see if there's another way I can get you know, again, the medical side, because that's what I've always uh, wanted to do. I've always wanted to be in the medical side. I've always loved being with people and helping people. But then maybe you can in incorporate some of the business side in it. And then um, I took a position as a physical therapist aide, uh, which is like kind of um, an assistant that helps with exercises. Um, if the clinic does modalities, they help with those as well. Um, but in the first three weeks, I was like, this is what I want to do. Uh, so then I applied to um, PT school after that. Went to USC, never wore any USC clothing, only UCLA, blue and I was gold. just going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in PT school, um, kind of, you know, of course, I, I was a good student. I wanted to be a good student, but I, I always wanted something more out of that time. And then that's when myself and my two partners, uh, Craig and Arash, we, we actually created our online educational platform that we run right now, the Prehab Guys back then. Um, it's grown so much since then, and we pivot and shift based on where things are at. We never never expected, never wanted it to be anything like this. We just did it because we wanted to keep learning. Um, in the second year of school, the, the didactic, didactic curriculum is all cardio, cardiopulmonary and neuro, and neuro uh, which we were all kind of orthosports-based. So we're like, okay, how can we stay fresh with the stuff that we learned the first year? How can we keep learning about it? Well, let's let's like read some more. Let's like put our thoughts on paper and let's try to educate others because when we're looking on social media, we're like, God, this guy just has a, an eight-pack abs or this girl just looks like really good. So that's the only reason why people are, are listening to them. So let's like put out some better information out there to help to help the public, um, you know, live a better life and you know basically prehab. That's kind of where it came from. Cool. Um, so now we just try to put out education to help people active and now that i've been treating 
you know, almost three years now since I've graduated, I, I'm a firm believer that the majority of what I do in the clinic is, is being an educator. Um, it's not that my hands are doing anything and it's not that my eyes are doing anything. Um, it's that I'm giving people education on how they can do something that they're already doing better or modifying something temporarily and then getting back into it. And through online, we can help educate a lot of people. We don't need that direct, you know, contact. For sure, we need that for other populations of patients. But, you know, for the maybe the younger 18 to 30-year-old that just their, their, their shoulder just bugs them a little bit, but it's not bad enough to go to PT, not bad enough to go to a doctor. You know, this is where the education and the stuff that we put online can help. So that's just a long introduction, but that's kind of kind of where. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, I think you know if you do any case studies of any businesses that are successful, they usually start with you know, addressing some sort of small problem. And it's like you identify some sort of gap and you kind of just start there. And as you say, you just, you kind of pivot and respond to what people need and learn as you go. And then it can grow and grow, you know, if you're actually listening and trying to figure out if you're solving problems. Um, so I think that's great. Yeah, no, it's, it's just growing and growing and learning, learning as we go. We still don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, the one thing the one thing I always say, um, you know, just for myself, since I've gone through a couple steps of education along the way, is kind of when you first are set down a path, like you're an undergrad and you're like, oh, I'm going to be a physical therapist or whatever it is, you know, you it seems like a very doable thing and it doesn't seem like it's all that much to learn. And then the deeper you get into any knowledge base, you start to realize like you don't really know anything, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. you know, it's like, obviously you've amassed a lot of knowledge by having to create knowledge, you know, so trying to put out things in a platform, you have to understand things really well. And then you start to realize how deep the layers get and it, you know, it just yeah. makes you want to kind of keep learning. So it's a good way to keep yourself motivated too. We talk to students all the time, and they always ask, like, what, you know, what can I do now as a student uh, to help me, you know, to, to let me grow faster? And I'm like, put, put things, write, write things down and put things out, because in order to teach someone, it means that you need to under have a certain level of baseline understanding to, to teach someone. And then if you're struggling with it, well, great, then you can identify where those pitfalls in your, you know, knowledge may be, and then that, then you found a whole another avenue of things to open up to you know better yourself and to continue to grow. Yeah, I think that's really good advice and it's, you know, it's endless. But if you have to, you know, present it and kind of share it with others, like you start to realize all the holes that you have in your own understanding and you're like, okay, I got to like fill that up. And that's the perfect advice for a student is try and like teach another, you know, um, student or teammate or something like that. And it does, it really, it makes you sort of fill all those holes in. Um, so you guys are doing, so how did the three of you come together? Like you were all in the so same class? We were all, yeah, so we were all in the same class. Okay. So the three of us were all in the same class. Um, and I guess I mentioned the second year, the, the curriculum was uh, changing, so we wanted to stay up to date yeah. on sports and work. And then I actually had a, um, a website I started first year. Um, I thought I was putting some really good articles out, but like <laughs> the reads were like 10, you know, 15, like no one was reading them. So I was like, okay, clearly the website doesn't work. And then we started thinking about social media and, and Craig was made the biggest point about it. He's like, Man, all these people, I'm following these people that have, you know, so many followers and they just give out the most horrible advice or I just don't understand why people are listening. And he's like, well, we should try to do that. Like we should try to put better information out there right now. Cause when you go on Google or you, you know, you think you have cancer or, 
you just you get you get you read there's almost information overload um, right. when you go online you're trying to give people better information um and then yeah i've started as students and it's just kind of grown and do you guys bring there. different skill sets do you think 100 percent we've gotten better uh, we've learned to work we've just learned so much about you know, the general term business as we've grown and now we segment um responsibilities completely wow nothing we do overlaps now before kind of all three of us all kind of did the same thing um and it just made us move really slow so now each of us kind of have our own uh, responsibilities and then we meet a couple times a week usually digitally um and kind of almost update and tell each other what i did instead of asking for permission uh, mm-hmm. to do it it made things go a lot faster good and where do you guys as far as like enhancing your business knowledge and your business skills like do you guys ever you know do you read books do you go to courses what do you do uh so a lot of it is reading books podcasts um and then talking to other people who have kind of gone through the trenches or are trying to take maybe what people have done in different sectors and trying to apply the principles to us um it's been hard for us because we, we've actually been really looking for like a uh i guess you can call it like a business mentor yeah but and, it, and it's been difficult because there's not anyone directly in a maybe like a healthcare online educational sector, but we've taken from what the other people have helped us with. They're doing you know, maybe fitness online or what other people are doing just education online and trying to take things from you know, people that we've talked to and uh, blended into ourselves. But at the same time, we have no idea. We're just learning. <laughs> We're just like, yeah. okay, let's see, if, let's see if this works. We'll try this for a little bit and, and kind of go from there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think any entrepreneur, that's how you have to do it. You know, and I know for myself along, you know, even when I'm looking at, say, surgical training and I'm sort of saying, okay, who's my mentor? There's never one person, you know. You sort of look at, like, if I look at my fellowship training, there is, you know, one guy who's very heavy on, like, the surgical technique side of things and the anatomy side of things. And then there's another guy that I would lean on more to, like, how do I develop my practice? Like, how do I you know, negotiate my contract. You know what I mean? Like you're always seeking different mentors for different, you know, you can't always generally get everything in one person. So, you know, I think it's a smart way to do it that, you know, the fitness space, it probably lends a lot because there's a lot of successful people out there who do things well. And then, you know, it's not exactly your model. So when you're learning about, you know, how do I do this in a rehab kind of space, there's different mentors. So that's good. That's smart. Yeah, and the, the clinical, it's hard for us, too. So we're, we're very young uh, practitioners. Like, we've only been out a little less than three years. So one of the growing pains uh, we're at right now is growing both clinically and business-wise at the same time. Yeah. And, it's, and it's tough because, you know, energy devoted to one is time and energy taken away from another. So um, that's, but we're, I think we're in a good spot. We balance it pretty well. We go to a ton of con ed. Um, and of course I, I get to read a lot. Like if I was in the clinic five days a week, I wouldn't be able to read as much research as I'm able to now. So, you know, there's pros and cons of less clinic care, but I, I, I feel like we're balancing it pretty well. Yeah. And you have to make sure you're in a good clinic, you know, and you are, you know, you, you're in a space yes. where there's people around you who are motivated and, are trying to really elevate the field. Whereas like if you had just sort of taken a job that was a little stagnant and you're not surrounded about people who are like trying to do better, you know, the, those hours you could do, you know, 60 hours a week and you'd be nowhere. Yeah. The time, the, the people you surround yourself is huge, especially as a younger clinician that, you know, big eyes doesn't really 
know anything being surrounded by people that are going to push the envelope and or and or tell you when you're right or wrong and kind of guide you is so huge yeah they have big expectations for you so you know that's what you want you want that kind of pressure on you Mm -hmm. so how did you then get into continuing ed as far as like travel courses so, uh, so I teach, uh, the three of us all teach blood flow restriction training uh, right now across the U.S. with a company called Smart Cups, uh, or Smart Tools, sorry, is the company. The product is called Smart Cups. Uh, their first product actually was an iSpin product uh, called Smart Tools, which okay. is their kind of like flagship. Uh, we went to a course when we were students um, with them, met the owner, or you know, we met the director of education actually. Um, and he was really like excited. He's like, it's so cool that you guys are educating. Um, and you guys are students still like, let's stay in touch. And we just stayed in touch with him since we went to that course, which I feel like was maybe our second year. Um, and then they reached out to us maybe a year and a half ago. And we were wondering if we would, uh, we would teach the tooling course. And to be honest with them, we kind of told them point blank, like there's just not enough good research for us to feel confident teaching something like that. Like, I, I don't know if I could put on a straight face and, tell people that I'm tooling this and it's doing this. Like, I have no idea what it's doing. It's, we have to see all these little things that it could be doing. You see maybe the effect clinically that it's doing, but how it's getting there, you know, I don't really know. Okay. Um, so they were like, okay, that's fine. And like, but we're actually coming out with what flow restriction, um, like in the next couple months, is that something you guys would be interested in? You're like hundred percent. And that's why I'm most stoked about BFR because the research is just so, so strong for BFR. It's, in in the clinic, you know, we see patients have a certain response, or patients are developing strength, or or whatever. Their their pain is being uh, diminished through certain things. And a lot of times, I have to say, I have to shrug if someone like if I have a student with me, like, well, why is it happening? I'm like, well, I think this is why. Like, we're doing this thing, we're doing this. I desensitize them this way, but I'll be honest, I have no idea why because the, our bodies are just so much more complex than me trying to point an A to B to C relationship. Um, whereas with BFR, we're able to augment and create a stimulus in someone's muscle that is a very highly metabolically challenging stimulus, very similar to what we would do when we do high-intensity training. And just having that cuff on and adding exercise, we see throughout, throughout all the literature that it's able to give us hypertrophy and strength gains, very, very similar to high-intensity training, a little bit different pathways, um, but that's where it's so amazing. So I know when I'm doing that with the post-up ACL, I'm expecting their quad to be a certain size at a certain month. I'm expecting the strength to come back faster. I'm expecting that we're able to progress to higher level um, activities and deceleration drills and, and um, plyos and things like that a lot faster. And it's almost like this cheat code for us in rehab, but it, it's almost too good to be true. Um, but it really is, and there's just so much research behind it, and I think that's why I've really gravitated towards it. Um, and I enjoy teaching it so much because I can feel confident when I say, if we do this, and we do it this many times a week for this long at this percentage of LLP, expect to see X, Y, and Z because we should see that because it's been repeated over and over and over now in the literature. Right. I think, you know, that was one thing when I was a physical therapist that I would get frustrated with, and BFR was not a thing when I was a PT, um, but I would always, you know, want to give people data, you know, like, and not everything has data. And I think the field has really developed a lot as far as, you know, putting data in certain aspects and certain diagnoses, but BFR is a huge one. So I think it's really been an additive benefit to the field in general. Um, And we, you know, we kind of talked about this earlier, but having, 
you know, I think it got, it's pretty big on the coast now, but, you know, going into the central U.S., it's just still starting to grow and catch on. But I can say, you know, I've been in places that don't have it um, as a surgeon, and then I've been in places that do have it. So for our rehab side, and it's hugely different as far as that early recovery, especially like there, um, I saw a gentleman in clinic today who he will be someone he, so he has a big osteochondral lesion that will need, um, so he'll basically go through a two stage procedure and get a, um, a cadaver graft. Um, his is pretty sizable and that's someone who I'm going to make non-weight bearing for a good period of time. So the ability to take him and send him to physical therapy and let him continue to maintain and improve his strength is huge. Oh yeah. And that's a, that's the cheat code kind of aspect of it. Instead of it being just like, uh, we have to be non-weight bearing for, you know, two, three months and respect whatever surgical procedure is done or, or, you know, medical sports medicine, um, injection but yeah any surgical yeah. procedure that's done now it's like we don't have to just be like uh shoulders droopy and sad that we're not only it's like no there's so much we can do now yeah when we can restrict the amount of blood flow and like preserve as much size and potentially even gain size for these people depending on how the volume of bfr which is just crazy to think of <laughs> i think it is and i you know i think it also lends to the whole acl recovery that Hopefully we start to see, you know, as these people are going to return to sport and BFR becomes a little bit more of a standard of care that we'll start to see those changes and readiness to return to sport. Because I think depending on where you are in the country and what access you have to therapy, you know, it can be really low as far as people's ability to return to their previous level of sport. So, you know, these are the tools that really help people get there because that period of time that they have so much disuse and they're doing those standard Oh, let me do my straight leg raises. Let me do my hip abduction. You know, it, it, it's slow, you know? So I think this is really an additive that can help them get back to everything they want to do. Oh yeah. Very, very slow in that early phase. And I think, uh, I was talking to one of my buddies, he's an orthopedic surgeon. He's, he's all on board with BFR. He's like, you PTs, you guys love it. You guys are just all about it. And I was was like, well, I mean, it's like, this was a timeframe when we just, we literally, you can't do much. You're just kind of like, you know, like, well, we'll we got we to gotta get through. We got to respect tissue healing and, and let it be there. And then we'll get started at a six-week month when we can wait there again. And now it's like there's so much we can do beforehand. And, you know, whether it changes, you know, long-term ACL data, like return to, like how many people return to sport, n- not sure what that'll do, but could it potentially, you know, make me get to the plyometrics at three and a half months instead of four or could it get make it you know can it speed up that intermediate beginning to intermediate phase so then i'm working on deceleration for longer and i'm working on plows for a lot longer at a sooner point um because someone has the claw strength to handle it um, which then hopefully yes would affect you know re-injury rates or secondary rates and things like that um but it's just yeah just an awesome cheat code for any rehab therapist um especially if you work with post-op patients so the patients we say are the ones that are going to that are going to be best for BFR or load compromised patients. So it's either your post-op patients, your painful patients, or, you know, your arthritic, um, your OA, NEOA um, type patients. So, so yeah. you know, full disclosure, you're coming out to Denver to do a course. Um, so, you know, I'm obviously a big proponent of BFR. I want more of it in the community and more options to, you know, have it at all the sites around. So um, can you tell, like, you know, 
use a moment to give a little shout out and tell me about like what you're going to be doing when you come into your course and why you think, you know, you're partnered with a good technology. Yeah. So on March 21st, uh, we'll be coming out to Colorado to teach a one day, uh, BFR course. The one day is huge already. So it's a one day con ed course, not a two day con ed course. So you still have your weekend. Um, what we mentioned before, it is such well supported within the literature. Like well over a thousand articles just in the past ten years. A ton of the research on tourniquets from like the '80s and '90s um, for in regards to safety, and then a lot of the research is done into well, what is it like with resistance training? What is it like with aerobic training? And then now, in this latter half of the decade, a lot of it's gone to the performance side. Uh, but as a rehab specialist, there are so many of our patients that we can't load uh, because of pain, because of precautions, and these are the patients that are just right for BFR. Um, if you think in your practice. Uh, if you think about everyone that's coming into us as a profession, I don't think we do a good job enough of loading people um, in the rehab side, but then there are times when we actually can't load people. So BFR is our way to you know, bridge the gap, for lack of better words, to get them into that phase so that way they can develop adequate strength, have the right amount of size, um, and you know, have the right size so then we can eventually start to load them heavy again. Um, and that's a big part that we cover in the course. So it's very easy to just read the research on BFR and say, okay, it works. It's very easy to say, okay, it's safe. It's a completely different story. Like how do I actually program it within my patient population based on Mary, who's you know 78 year old with arthritic knees versus John over here who just tore his ACL versus someone else that's in a cast. Um, and through the course, it's ex extremely clinical. Um, I teach it as a clinician, not as a researcher. And I think that's a big point. Like, yes, of course, we're going to go over some research to highlight some key aspects of uh, BFR or when it comes to programming. But the big point of the course is how do I program this? How do I use it with my patients on Monday? That's always the question that I make sure to keep in my mind. It's like, I want to make sure everyone feels very confident utilizing BFR with a patient or patients on Monday. Um, and that's really the goal of the course. Uh, it's very hands-on. You're going to be sweating. We're going to be moving. Uh, you're basically exercising the entire afternoon. Uh, so like five <laughs> hours of exercise. Um, it's a very active course. You're not going to be just sitting and, you know, staring at slides the whole time. Like we're going to be moving because everything that you're going to ask a patient to do, you need to try yourself. Um, BFR is a humbling experience if you haven't done it before. It can be a little uncomfortable. So you have to know what it feels like before you're just, you know, telling your patient to go through a certain rough scheme of, of sets and they look like they're, they're struggling and want to die. It's like, nah, no, you're good. You, know, you, know, you want to know what it feels like. Um, so you can adjust when patients report, you know, like numbness in their arms, which is a very common side effect. And how do we, um, you know, tackle that? How do we change maybe our BFR dosage and prescription and or exercise prescription based on um, the common complaints that people will have? Yeah, I think that's smart. Um, I have tried it myself. I did it when I was in fellowship you know, just going down to our clinic that we had in our building. Um, and it, it totally kicks your butt. And I was, um, I'm excited to have you here. I think you guys have partnered with a great company who, you know, have safe technology and good monitoring. So that obviously is, you know, one of the most important things, but, you know, having it in a one day course where you're packaging everything in a very clinical fashion is important, you know, cause at the end of the day, like, you know, it's just like with orthopedics too, you go to some of these meetings and then they spout off, you know, all this like literature and research. And then you're like, okay, but what am I doing? You know, like in this mm -hmm. procedure, what are like the, you know, the, the tips and tricks and what, are, you know, that's really what, yeah. like at the end of the day, like once we sort of get by the research stuff and realize we're, 
you know, doing something that makes sense, you know, you want to know the little details of the how-to and the lessons learned. And, you know, you want to hear from you, like, what have you done wrong? And like, you know, why did that happen? And like, it's all about lessons learned and learning from one another. So I think that's great. Yeah, I've done a, done a lot wrong, and I will share with yeah. you guys all those stories. That way you don't make the same mistakes as I have. Um, but it's been nice, too, with these courses. A lot of times people, I know you mentioned it's, it's been more popular on the coast, and it seems like it's making its way to where you are now, but there are a lot of times that people have experienced it themselves, whether it was a good experience or a bad experience. Or maybe someone just grabbed some wraps and tried to wrap their arm and see what it felt like, and you know, we can share all those experiences so that you know what to do and what not to do in the clinic. Um, and to your to what you said about safety too, the most important thing is accessing what's known as uh, limb occlusive pressure (LOP), and then we go through how to do that with the Doppler. That is the one thing within the research when they are now starting to compare all these different materials, elastic versus non-elastic size. The one thing that holds true among all the different cuffs is as long as you can standardize percentage of LOP, you are doing evidence-based blood flow restriction training. So that's a big point of what we'll cover in the first lab: taking everyone's LOP. And then after that, it's a lot of exercising. <laughs> good, good. The um, So we're partnering your course. We do some continuing education in my office a lot. And so on the Friday afternoon, we're doing some free um, kind of continuing education as well. And we um, had initially planned to like partner it with maybe doing like a soul cycle workout just for fun. But now I'm thinking maybe oh. not. <laughs> just... <laughs> You, you may, people may be tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's kind of cool, there's a lot of, the level one course is more for rehab. They are developing a level two right now for performance. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of really cool performance applications for it. And I just had a girl at my last course who was running a race the next day. And I kind of gave her some advice. I'm like, let's watch your volume on these, do these. And she killed it. She had a PR the next day. Oh, that's um, awesome. And you, we, we see this. It's like this 24-hour, like, protection. Um, we can cover it more in the class, but it's, the performance things are very interesting. Um, the research for there is not as solid because um, the methods are not as clean between yeah. all the different papers. Um, and just as you work with higher-performing athletes, it's harder and harder to tease out what's clinically significant and what's not. Um, but it's really, really exciting stuff, and so we'll definitely tease it on some of that during the course as well for those uh, for those people that are interested in the performance side of BFR. Good, and I think we're going to have some folks there that are more in the fitness space, so that will be great. Perfect. Perfect, yeah. A lot of fitness applications, uh, really cool fitness applications. Good. Um, and then as far as, like, for you, um, where do you generally get your resources for learning about um, BFR and where it's going? Are you in particular, like, with a certain journal, or do you generally get it from the company that you're working with, or how do you do that? So the best thing i found for me, not just for BFR, but to stay on top of research is uh, Read by QXMD. Uh, I think that's the company. They have an app, and I usually use their website uh, platform. But basically, you can subscribe to either certain journals. So I have a lot of the, the PT journals that I subscribe to, or you can subscribe to keywords. So for BFR, I have a blood flow restriction keyword. So anytime there's any article published with those keywords, uh, I get the list of them. And granted, probably like 80% of them have nothing to do with like our version of BFR training. It's like they're just restricting blood flow or something, I don't even know, like something that not has anything to do with orthopedics or sports. Uh, but that's a really good way that I stay on top of the research. Um, the keywords are cool. And for anyone that's interested in a particular keyword, I think that's a really good way to stay on top of it. Um, you may have to get more specific than just like maybe like ACL, because there's probably a lot that's out there. But um, I really like that app a lot. 
good. So tell me, what was the app again? Uh, read. It's called Read, and I think it's called by QXMD or the opposite. It's like QXMD by Read or something like okay. that. Okay, perfect. Um, but it's for everything. Like, I just, all the medical journals are in there. Like, I subscribe to just the orthopedics. And then they have, like, uh, practice, like, specialties. So I have, like, a, the orthopedics one that I see. Most of that research is uh, more, like, medical, like, surgical research. But I still skim the titles to get an idea of what's, you know, what's being published. Uh, but I usually dive into more of the BFR or PT ones. Good. Yeah, I think the, like, in the orthopedic literature, there's starting to come some more things on the rehab side and what's like really relevant on rehab, but it's definitely a big hole. So I think it's, you know, it's often in the like AJSM, like which is our, you know, kind of primary sports medicine journal. Like you're starting to see some things that talk about outcomes with rehab, but it's a huge area. So I think, you know, that's just a side note, but if there's like, you know, interest by anyone who wants to do more orthopedic related research, um, for post-op, it's like, go partner with someone in your community. Cause there's like a huge gap that it's like, you got to start somewhere. And I think it, it's very underdeveloped. So back to, um, BFR and the course. Um, so obviously we have an upcoming course in Denver. That's March 21st that we're going to be, um, hosting in my clinic. Um, but if, you know, you're not in Denver and you want to learn more about BFR, what would you suggest um, people can do? Um, there's also a lot of great resources online, too, for people. Um, and I believe they may even be teaching an online course soon. I think they're experimenting with that because um, a lot of the course, the didactic stuff, you know, it's good to hear it and good to hear it live, but there's so much research out there now that you can probably get a good understanding of uh, at least, like, what BFR is and the general parameters, and then really getting the nitty-gritty of, like, how is it used clinically, that's where the course shines. It's like, how do I actually now use this clinically um, and change the variables based on the people that are presented uh, to, you know, based on the patient presented to me in the clinic. And just say the website one more time. Uh, the website is uh, smarttools.com, I believe is the website. I'm going to look it up right now. Okay, perfect. Um so finally, um, do you have any sort of advice as far as not so much on the BFR, but like turning back to what you talked about becoming, you know, being in PT and sort of realizing you have some entrepreneurial kind of spirit, um, what would you suggest to those people that are still in school now? Um, I would suggest having a very open mind um, to everything. And even if they kind of already knew that they – or have decided on a certain path, like be open to other paths. I know for me in particular, when I was in school, I was so ortho sports. Well, I always was like, I'm going to be a private practice owner. Like I was part of the private practice section as a student and like was going to all these like private practice meetings. And, you know, that time could have been better spent maybe learning a little bit about neuro, even though I don't treat that population, it would still be good to know that stuff or, you know, peds and things like that. So having an open mind to other um, specialties and just because you're a student doesn't mean it's too young to do x y or z i think a lot of times when you talk to students like oh i I don't feel comfortable like you know writing a blog or educating and and writing may not be your thing or speaking a video might not be your thing that's fine but know that you're as a student you're educating every day when you're on clinicals and that's even more you know you're right in front of a real person so you can practice that stuff in a way that you're comfortable with whether whether that's a podcast whether it's a blog whether that's just talking to your friends and family and telling them what PT is, um, you know, get comfortable talking about it. 
because it's only going to make talking with patients uh, about things you may not even know about that much easier because you've practiced it before, even if it's a different form. Um, so just keep being open, um, keep practicing your education skills. At the end of the day, your connection skills, your people skills are so much more valuable than you know knowing every single little thing about uh, rehabbing from I don't know, a Jones fracture or something like that. Because if you can't connect with that person that come, that's coming in with the Jones fracture, it doesn't matter if you've seen a thousand of them or it doesn't matter if you know, you know everything about it. If you can't connect with them, you're not going to be a good therapist. So the people skills are huge too. Yeah, I think that's really solid advice. And I think, you know, being open-minded is huge. We, you know, kind of, I know I've been sort of victim of it where I sort of put my head down early on and was like, all right, this is what I'm doing and here's my path and it's sort of carved out. And then you kind of pick your head up and you realize there's all these other opportunities and maybe those interest you too. So I, I think always having your eyes and ears open is smart. Oh, yeah. Cool. The, the field is, there's so many ways you can go with it. So having an open mind is huge. Yeah. Well, thank you for this. I think um, I certainly learned a lot and I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So thanks again to Michael for coming on and sharing his expertise about BFR, but also importantly sharing his path and how he got to be uh, to where he is today. Um, so I'm going to put some stuff up on the website, cloganmd.com, that has links to the course at our location in Denver on March 21st, but also has um, additional course sites and locations throughout the year and throughout the U.S. Thanks for listening and hope you have a great day.